podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts. Hello and welcome to the latest Aberdeen Investment Trust podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard. Today I'm talking to Ben Ritchie and Georgina Cooper, managers on the Dunedin Income Growth Trust. We'll be discussing UK markets in the post-restart environment and how they're positioned in the trust today. Welcome, Ben. Welcome, Georgina. Ben, I wonder if we can start with an update on the trust over the last six months. Thanks, Cherry. Uh, it's uh, It's been a pretty eventful six months, I think, overall for the trust, both in terms of how markets have developed, how the trust has developed, and I think importantly, how the trust has evolved its strategy through this period as well. And it, it might be worth starting with the, with the last point first, which is that I think the most important thing really for the longer term positioning of, of the trust is that we uh, uh, achieved approval uh, to adopt uh, sustainable and responsible investment principles uh, as part of our investment objective from shareholders uh, during the first part of the year. And I think that's a, an important uh, action in terms of positioning the trust for the longer term. It certainly puts us, we believe, in a better position uh, to deliver risk adjusted returns over the longer term. And we think it does differentiate the trust uh, in what is a competitive uh, field as well. So we think those things are quite important. In terms of um, the portfolio itself, we think we've done an okay uh, job during the first part of this year. And I think you always need to see these things in context. So we have lagged uh, the wider market a little bit, uh, but I think you need to look back and see, uh, you know, we managed to prove to be very resilient during 2020, and that built on a good year in 2019 and a number of years uh, where we've delivered you know, consistently solid investment performance. And I think having been very resilient during what were some pretty choppy and volatile times, I think keeping up more or less with what have been strong markets during the first part of this year uh, is, a, is a reasonable outcome, although we are always you know, striving uh, to do better than that. And in terms of the portfolio underlying, it's really been a focus on continuing to execute our strategy, which is to focus the portfolio down, concentrate our capital into our best ideas, and look to maintain that balance of income today and growth of both income and capital uh, over the medium to longer term. That's a fine balance. It's a difficult, I think, thing to be able to get that mix right. Uh, but we've continued uh, to focus on delivering that during the first part of this year. And I think overall, you know, the portfolio today is in pretty good shape, uh, a resilient uh, portfolio capable of managing through some tricky times if they happen to come through and also of participating uh, if we are going to see more buoyant markets ahead. Uh, and I think that's really, I think the, the important thing to take, take away from here going forward is very much a, an ambition of trying to position ourselves to be quite well balanced. We don't want to be overly uh, uh, positioned for any one outcome partly because we believe that the range of outcomes that, that sits in front of us is, is fairly is fairly uh, finely balanced at this point. Okay, thanks, Ben. Georgina, I wonder if we could turn to you to talk a little bit about what's been happening with dividends over the past six months. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the, the pitch has been much, much healthier than, than what we saw last year. And, uh, you know, by and large, we've, we've definitely seen a, a good recovery in dividends, both as um, we've seen sort of businesses learn to deal a little bit better with the disruptions from COVID, but also just generally the visibility that that, that companies have on the, on their outlook, it has certainly improved. And, you know, I'd say now I think um, all companies within our portfolio have restored a dividend of some sort, and actually quite a few have probably uh, distributed additional capital as, as they sort of um, recovered from, from uh, income that they held back last year. 
Um, and yeah, actually, I think um, if we look at our sort of forecast into to next year, I think it's about 80% of our portfolio that we now think will um, increase their dividend to pre-pandemic levels. So yeah, the pitch is certainly looking a lot rosier than it, than it did last year. Um, I think it probably is worth noting, though, that um, you'll probably recall that our income performance last year was um, pretty robust, um, much more resilient than than what we saw from both the market and a lot of our peers. Um, so whilst we're sort of confident that um, the income generation that we'll have this year will be strong, it, it probably will lag the market a little bit. Um, but continue to be very supportive of our, our of our dividend policy. Okay, thanks, Georgina and Ben. Where are you finding long-term dividend growth potential? I know that's a that's a real priority for the trust. I think the uh, opportunities for us are as broad uh, as they have been um, for a very long time. And I think one of the great strengths of uh, Aberdeen's uh, equity uh, capability is its is its fundamental research and uh, breadth of that. And we are able to generate ideas from across the market cap spectrum in the UK and also to source uh, ideas uh, from our European team as well. And that gives us a really broad uh, range of options uh, to look at. So I think if anything, the competition for capital in the portfolio is as high as it has been, um, I think, in any time in the last uh, four or five years, which I think overall is is good news. Um, And in terms of sort of specific areas, uh, I think it's a combination of, I would say, recovery and then also continuity. So there are some companies in the continuity camp that have continued to deliver very solid, consistent results throughout this time period. So think about a business like Croda that makes specialty uh, additives for a wide range of industries. It's a high margin, uh, relatively high growth business. You know, Croda has, has sort of sailed through uh, the volatility of the last couple of years uh, and continues to do very well and is moving its dividend ahead uh, at a nice rate in line uh, with its earnings. On the other hand, we've got companies which have, have cut dividends uh, or didn't pay dividends uh, in 2020 and who've come back uh, to the dividend paying list um, and in some cases come back with a vengeance. So, you know, we've seen uh, companies like Close Brothers uh, who reported results this morning, very strong result, results this morning. Um, again, opting not to pay a dividend during the first part of, of 2020, uh, but, but actually now again, you know, really looking to move uh, dividends ahead at a nice pace. Um, uh, and we could say something similar around someone like Marshalls, uh, the building materials company. Again, you know, a business which opted not to pay a dividend during part of 2020, uh, but where business is actually performing uh, extremely strongly uh, into 2021. Uh, and we're seeing some very, uh, you know, good catch up in terms of their in terms of their distribution. So from the trust perspective, um, you know, having sort of, I think, navigated the challenges of of 2020 pretty well, uh, we're benefiting both from some rebound in companies that, that sort of paid a bit less last year, and also um, from solid uh, continuity of delivery from our from our core holdings. And I think, you know, to Georgina's point, we're not going to see the kind of dividend growth in 2021 that some of our peer trusts will do. But equally, we only saw around a 10% hit to income last year. And, and across the board, you know, there were some very significant hits. So, you know, we see it more as in just continuing to deliver what we've been doing over, over recent years. Um, and, and as I say, I think there's a, a, you know, a good range of opportunities, both for income uh, and capital across the board at the moment, which is, uh, which is interesting. Great. And um, Georgina, Ben mentioned the incorporation of ESG 
metrics um, earlier. I wonder if you can talk about the extent to which that's changed the portfolio, whether it's, you know, seen you exit certain positions or or um, move into new ones. So, um, I mean, I, we there was certainly um, a, a handful of names that we mentioned uh, when we were um, uh, pitching the, the idea of this um, new screen that would no longer meet um, some of our negative criteria. So some of the, the criteria included um, no longer investing in tobacco, um, no longer investing in companies that had exposure to thermal coal, um, and, and a lot of, of our uh, screens are around um, those that have um, high carbon intensity. So there was a handful of names within our portfolio that that no longer fit that criteria, including, um, so British American Tobacco being an obvious one, and BHP Billington, um, and, and National Grid um, for their the carbon intensity of their generation assets in the US. Um, but there, there, there was a fairly small number of names that we had to actually exit um, from the, those criteria. Um, they were, however, quite high yielding names. So we were conscious of trying to replace that yield. Um, we did that partially through um, adding to some of our existing high conviction um, names that did have a, a decent yield, including uh, Scottish and um, Southern Energy, Diageo. But um, as Ben mentioned, you know, we have that um, option to invest overseas. So we utilise some of our exposure there to um, invest in some new interesting names, um, for example, Finnish bank Nordea and commercial vehicle manufacturer Volvo. And then on, aside from that, you know, we had a conscious mind of, of keeping balance within the portfolio, but there were a few sort of obvious changes that we felt um, would work. So we exited something like Countryside, which has had good relative performance, but still isn't paying a dividend and chose to replace that with Persimmon, which still gives us that nice exposure to a ha- the housing market. But Persimmon does have a much um, more attractive dividend policy, which is well underpinned by its strong con- cash generation and robust balance sheet. So gave us that ability to keep that, that income piece strong without really disrupting the overall composition of the portfolio. So overall, when I sort of think about what, what does the portfolio look like now with these changes, I think there has been a slight increase in, in financials, which has offset the sort of obvious reduction we've seen in some of the more commodity driven stocks. And we have, as I said, also taken advantage of that ability to invest overseas. And so that's probably come up slightly in terms of the, the percentage that we have in our European holdings. But overall, I do think, you know, we've kept a, a really good balance within the portfolio. And actually, if anything, um, I'd say the outlook on dividend security is now probably stronger with these new holdings um, than those that we've exited. OK, thanks. And Ben, I wonder if you could talk a bit more about those overseas holdings. So to what extent are you using that ability to invest outside the UK at the moment? And, and are there any, um, apart, apart from the ones uh, Georgina just mentioned, but um, are there any notable holdings amongst um, those overseas positions? Yeah, so we, we sort of really kind of find sort of three uh, angles to our overseas exposure. So I think the first one is, you know, able to diversify high yielding sectors or give us access to, to high yielding companies, which can allow us to broaden out our income generation. So that's that's an important area. And, and Georgina's touched on a, a couple of companies in Nordea and Volvo where, you know, those have been quite sort of deliberate investments to, to seek out you know, good quality, higher yielding opportunities in the European context. Um, then we're also really looking to see, can we find 
uh, exposure to uh, sectors or segments which we can't find uh, in the UK. And I think uh, certainly um, uh, some of our more uh, growth orientated investments uh, overseas, you know, generally focusing a little bit more on the, on the technology side, which, which is where uh, perhaps, um, you know, it's a bit more challenging to find interesting ideas within the UK market. And then the other angle uh, is thinking around companies that are just frankly, you know, fantastic businesses, which we want to own. And, and this gives us the opportunity to be able to do that. So you know, perhaps something like Novo Nordisk, the, uh, the Danish uh, insulin and diabetes uh, pharmaceutical focused company, you know, the, it's a world-class business, fantastic long-term opportunities. You know, it's a great company to have in the, have in the portfolio. Uh, and perhaps in terms of some of the sort of technology type things, we you know we've got companies like Eaton Red, which is a, a French uh, payments uh, company, uh, companies like Ubisoft, which is a computer games uh, manufacturer, those those sorts of things as well. So I think it, it allows us to round out the portfolio uh, uh, and helpfully give us a better balance. And I think that's that's quite important, really, because, you know, we're targeting to have a, a high active share. You know, the active share for portfolio is over 80% today, which is I think, a pretty good level for any UK fund, particularly income one. Um, it also allows us uh, to be able to, you know, expand our, our positioning in the sort of mid-cap, mid-size part of the market, which again, where we see, you know, opportunities as well. So, uh, and again, I think it, it's important for us to keep that balance of, um, of exposures and not be too uh, weighted to uh, the outcome of any one sort of particular uh, scenario as well, particularly at this point. So that, that that I think is quite helpful in terms of what we get from our from our overseas holdings. Thanks, and and Georgina, is is the concentration of UK dividends still a problem? I mean, presumably the offshore holdings help with that a little bit, but are there other things you're doing in the portfolio to to stop that being an issue? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you have seen a bit of um, concentration in dividends, certainly this year, as as Ben mentioned, you've seen a lot of of names sort of catch up on the dividend payments. And, and that's probably seen concentration in, in some names that in particular have given those large specials. So, so Rio Tinto, for example, this year was, uh, I think, a large contributor to income for, for a lot of, of funds within the income space. But I think going forward, that should start to normalise. And actually, if I look at sort of our top 10 holdings and, and the income that they generate for the portfolio, it, it's probably not actually that dissimilar to to what we've seen in previous years. I think that might be um, a, a digit specific thing in the sense that um, as you probably recall, over the last five years, we've been moving away from our reliance on those high yielders with low income growth. So we have that balanced sort of uh, focus on on generating both income and income growth for the future, as well as capital growth. So I think the fact that we aren't reliant on those high yielders probably serves us well um, in a market where you are seeing some concentration amongst those high yielders. You know, I think the fact that we have that full waterfront coverage of the FTSE 350 really does help because it gives us the ability to really search out those best ideas in the market that, that can get that balance. And I think it also, you know, it gives us good exposure to some of those mid cap names, which over the longer term, I think will be key to, to maintaining that diversification of dividends um, because they may today not be the, the high yielders. Um, that we see within the market, but I think they're the ones that have the real potential to grow the, their dividend over the time and to be sort of the real high yielders of the of the future. Ben, 
is there any sense that UK dividends have kind of built back better? So, you know, improved dividend cover, improved their payout ratios? I think a number of companies have taken the opportunity during the last 18 months to sort of reassess their dividend uh, payment capacity and what it means for their business. Uh, And I think it had been, I think, a problem for the market that in the past, I think investors have become quite dependent on the dividends uh, from a number of large uh, UK corporates um, and insisted on those dividends being delivered, I think, to the detriment of the businesses on an underlying basis, not allowing them to fully invest perhaps in in the capital opportunities or the M&A opportunities that might have been available to them. Um, And I think that's uh, a, a slightly problematic situation. This may well perhaps give the opportunity for that to change somewhat and companies might be able to better balance uh, their investment opportunities uh, going forward. And I think having a broader range of companies to be able to choose from, uh, I think will give you know, investors perhaps the freedom to allow businesses to you know, recalibrate their, their dividend policies. But if you think about some of the larger companies during this period, you know, the big oil companies have all cut their dividends. Um, you know, the mining companies have, adop- have adopted you know, variable payout ratios. Uh, Glaxo will be reducing its dividend this year. The banks were held back from paying dividends last year. So amongst those bigger paying companies, there have been been some quite big reductions. And hopefully that gives those businesses a a bit more opportunity to be uh, more flexible and considered in terms of their their distribution strategies going forward and better balance CapEx, internal investment, M&A and shareholder returns. Okay, thanks. Um, Now, if, if we could just sort of round off with a look at kind of risks and opportunities um, over the next kind of six months or so. Um, Georgina, I'll, I'll give you the risk portion. So what are your greatest concerns over the next few months? Um, I mean, I definitely think it's sort of, it's that piece around earnings outlook. You've already seen sort of a shift in the market caution around how sustainable the strong earnings recovery we saw from at the beginning of the year is into the second half of the year. Um, and I think with that, there's, there is probably more pressure on earnings as we've seen this significant rise in, in supply chain disruption and, and sentiment around inflation, in particular, sort of how long that piece lasts and, and the implications that it has on, on businesses and, and how long it affects that, that um, earnings potential. Um, you know, I don't think our companies are immune to that. They are certainly exposed to some of the logistic issues that we've seen, the labour shortages, some some of the raw raw cost um, raw material um, cost inflation. Um, but I mean, I think the fact that we do focus on those longer term quality names that that generally have strong pricing power and flexibility within their business models does help them mitigate um, those those issues. So while not immune, I, I, I do think that it's perhaps less a risk than than some other parts of the market where we where we don't invest. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's mainly just sort of sort of how sustainable that that growth really is. Um, but generally, I think that's sort of quite a short term outlook. And and as you know, we are very sort of long term in our thinking. And I think we do remain confident that the holdings that we have um, have 
strong structural growth drivers that um, over that that medium term uh, should be able to continue to underpin our underpin our strategy and and you know deliver that income and capital growth that we that we expect to sort of keep in line with the the strategy of this trust. Great, thanks. And uh, Ben, just to you uh, for some sort of concluding remarks on how you're seeing markets today and and the outlook over the next six months or so. Yeah, I think to echo Georgina's comments earlier, uh, it, it's an interesting period. The, the headwinds are building up to some degree. And I think when we look at the portfolio and we look at the companies in it, and I've used this word a lot, but I think it's important, we do think about this balance of the portfolio, resilience, but also participation on the upside. Um, when we look at the company level, I think we're pretty happy. Generally speaking, businesses are performing very well, and we've just produced our sort of outlook for for next year and and broadly speaking you know as georgina said earlier our view of income security for 2021 22 looks as good as it ever has done but there are headwinds building you know we can think as georgina would talk about inflationary cost pressures coming through that's certainly an element we're seeing a slowdown in china and that will have ripple effects through the rest of the global economy we're also getting to the point where government uh, support is starting to be withdrawn and in the UK we'll see an end to furlough but also potentially we've got tax increases coming uh, in 2022 uh, and at the same time we're also analysing very strong growth numbers so the sort of function of numbers is starting to come into play and at the same time you've got policymakers thinking about how are they going to withdraw some of the extraordinary stimulus that's been provided during uh, the crisis period uh, potentially talking about raising interest rates and I think that was sort of captured a bit with Andrew Bailey talking the other evening which is that raising interest rates won't increase the supply of semiconductor chips. I think they're aware that some of these supply challenges aren't necessarily going to be fixed by raising interest rates. And so it's an interesting balance because we are at a point where perhaps momentum is starting to slow at the same time as policymakers are thinking about withdrawing stimulus at a time when there are also a number of other challenges around supply chains, logistics, costs and so forth that are out there. So it's an interesting period. But I think to bring all that back, you know, while there may be some volatility around that. We still think that our portfolio is pretty well positioned, you know, kind of regardless of what happens. There are some scenarios where things are better for us, somewhere it would be worse. Um, but we think overall, you know, we are setting ourselves up to deliver relatively resilient uh, income growth uh, over the medium to long term. And we feel you know, pretty good about how we're positioned for that. Although I think you know, if we were thinking around the, the headwinds that our companies and the markets might face. There were a few more of them around today than there were six months ago. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Georgina, for your time today and those insights. You can find out more about the trust at www.dunedinincomegrowth.co.uk. And thank you all for tuning in. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen.
The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only, or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections, or estimates, and provide no guarantee of future results.